Hello and welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking, a baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you know, uh, it was my little brother's birthday weekend. Uh, you know, got to got to spend some time with the family, which is good. Um, and, you know, we're going to get into this baseball-wise, but just some really good baseball over the last week, I feel like. In terms of just, like, excitement, things that are happening that you necessarily wouldn't have expected. I, I think neither of us expected both these things, or both these teams would still be here uh, following our last episode. But um, some fun hires, too. So, yeah, there's a lot to get into. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of fun baseball this last week. We just uh, wrapped up our Fall World Series this week, uh, going 3-0, by the way. Swept, uh, of course, because it was the team I drafted. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was me and the other coaches drafted. But we had, we had a good game plan, uh, which was draft every good reliever we could possibly have and just have a way better bullpen than them. Uh, and it worked because we won 8-6, to 8-4, and then 5-1. Uh, and the three games. Um, but really, really fun. I had a lot of fun this fall with the team and the staff at Archer Carroll High School here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm very excited for what they can do. There's some guys on this team who I think in a couple of years uh, people could ca- talk about as being uh, potential maybe MLB guys one day. Um, and hopefully I get to be a positive influence on that. Um, but yeah, we'll go ahead and start off with, well... We both said that the Astros and the Phillies should hang on because they both went home. Um, starting with the Astros, uh, not to quote a famous uh, TV show, but, you know, if I had a nickel for every time that the Astros lost every game at home in a seven-game series, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's pretty strange that it happened twice. Yeah, I... I'm not saying that it was. I feel like this was more likely than the other outcome that happened in the uh, in the championship series in terms of home teams up three two, and it's like, all right, just grab one of these two games, wrap up the series, let's go home, or let's go to the World Excuse me, excuse, uh, World Series. Excuse me, I guess both those teams went home, um, but the Astros just got outplayed, man. Like they, the, the Rangers went went in there, man. They got dominated. They got bopped, dude. The Rangers walked in there. The first game, the, the first game of that two game set. Rangers were, were it was a close game between the Rangers and Rangers and Astros, but then towards the end, and it's it's poetic. I'm so glad that this is what ended up happening. Adolis Garcia basically put the Astros on ice. He walks in there, game six, you know, it's bases loaded and just puts that game away. And then game seven, Corey Seager gets it started with that solo home run. The Astros, you know, they put up a three run ending. They chase uh, Christian Javier out of the game. Um, it looked like the Astros were going to get back in it because Max Scherzer apparently is just, he, look, it, this is, it's not going to help. He's just old. Yeah. It's not even just that. It's like, he's old and he's, he hadn't pitched in a month. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and try to make excuses for Max Scherzer. Like, I don't think he would even want to make excuses for himself, but I feel like we're at the point of his legacy should be determined by playoff starts made at the ripe age of like 40 coming back from a shoulder injury then I feel like that's being disingenuous, right? Like, that would be like, uh, you know, taking Jeter's final years as a Yankee and saying this is the player he was his entire career. Um, but, you know, overarching story here is the Rangers' offense just would not be put to bed. They, they so any any pitcher the Astros threw in there, it didn't matter the situation, the Rangers just hit. And they hit a bunch of home runs, and they won, the, won baseball games like that. 
I'm glad they won that series. And I'm glad they won the series the way they did. I'm glad that Adolis Garcia turned into primary bonds for two games and put the Astros to bed, if I'm going to be honest with you, Max. Yeah, I mean, again, just kind of a recap, right? Be like Adolis Garcia got fined. Brian Abreu was suspended, though, did not actually end up serving the suspension. He'll serve it at the beginning of next year. Um, and so it was fairly close. Uh, it was one, you know, Astros scored first, and then the Rangers responded, and then they scored two more in the fourth, and then it was all of a sudden it's three to two in the sixth, and then the Astro, you know, the Rangers got one more in the eighth, and then in the ninth, the Adolis Garcia, in the ninth inning of a four to two game, the Astros went to Rafael Montero. Listen, Dusty retired, and we wish him nothing but the best in his retirement and everything. He had a great career, probably the best clubhouse manager baseball's ever seen. But this is kind of like a moment where it's like, yeah, it's good that he retired because that was a terrible decision. And, yeah, they brought in Ryan Stanek to try and get out of a baseless situation, and Adolis Garcia put one into the Grotford boxes to give them a big lead, and they ended up holding on. And then in Game 7... Yeah, like, you still have to feel kind of good about things. Like, you do have Javier going against Max Scherzer. Um, you know, your staff versus their staff. But the Rangers were extremely well prepared for Javier. Um, and we kind of saw it in Game 1 of the World Series when we get to that as well. Um, they just knew how to hit the high spin, you know, fastball at the top of the zone. It was clear that those are the swings that they were taking were well designed to handle those things. Obviously, the Corey Seager home run, you know, put up three spot in the first inning. Javier doesn't even get out of the first inning. Then they went to, uh, what was it, JP France in the fourth inning, and he gave up a four spot. And, yeah, I mean, they brought in Jordan Montgomery. He gets out of the jam. Um, he pitches deep enough. It gives them, I think, what, like two innings of relief or something like that afterwards and doesn't give up any runs. And, you know, they, they ended up holding on to take the 11-4 win and, yeah, I mean, they, they won because they, they absolutely mashed, hit a bunch of home runs, and, you know, took the series away. And, you know, that series ends, you know, uh, Dusty Baker basically announces his retirement the next day. Um, so now the Astros have to look for a new manager, just hire Joe Espada. Oh, I don't know what we're doing here. I heard Brad Ausmus's name was in the mix, and I was like, dude, what are we doing? Just hire Joe Espada. Um, but that's how it ends for Houston. Um, there were a lot of talks about, like, is this a dynasty or not? Um, for me personally, no. Um, they won in 2017, and then they won again in 2022. You just need more rings in that time period to be a dynasty. Um, like, yes, they went to seven straight ALCS. That's very impressive. I'm not debating that. Um, but, yeah. You got to win. Like, if you're a dynasty, you have to win rings, and, and they didn't. So, I think they come up short on being a dynasty. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you got two rings in a seven-year span. Like, it's... Look, I, I, I think it would be a crazy and insane thing to say to say that, oh, if you're not a dynasty, you're not impressive. Like, this is the, I think, the hardest sport to try to be a dynasty in, just based on the randomness of postseason baseball. And unlike most teams, they've been able to, you know, usually finish right around where projections have them to, not just in the regular season, but the postseason as well. And I think that's remarkably impressive. I think this stretch, I, I don't, not that, you, you know, not that I'm going to sit here and, you know, start saying the Astros are so underappreciated, whatever. I, I think the Astros are, because of the amount of people who don't like them and the amount of people who do like them, 
probably appreciated enough as a as a, in terms of like winning um as an organization like obviously baseball wise did a lot well um I, I also don't think this is the end like I don't I know this is sounds this sounds like a post-mortem it could be this could be the year where it's like all right next year maybe it doesn't look as great it's not looking like if you're looking into the future you look at some of the decisions that they're making and you get kind of worried um because Listen, I'm not going to name the guy because, again, I, I, I don't want to do that. I have nothing but distaste and disdain for that man. But that front office that he built and then the front office under James Click, a lot of those people are leaving. Like, they're just not coming back. And so there was a report about how basically the, the pick for manager is going to come down to effectively Jeff Bagwell, who is senior advisor, AKA acting president of baseball operations and Jim Crane over GM Dana, Dana Brown, which like, why did you hire Brown if you're not going to let him decide on the manager? So I agree with you like that. The roster's still good. Like they still have a good roster. Um, they have areas they can upgrade and like, you know, they've shown a willingness to spend, so they could do it. But, yeah, I mean, there's some concerns, like, that things are starting to go on the downturn there, just in my opinion. I don't disagree. Like, look, the way I look at it is the thing that is that I think is certainly gone is that that pipeline of a bunch of talent, of just like, oh, we lost Garrett Cole. Well, Framer Valdez and Christian Javier just popped out. You know what I mean? Not not saying that they're as good as Garrett Cole, but you, you kind of get what I'm hinting at here, right? You know, it's like the ability to say, all right, we just lost a fran- like the type of guy that you build a franchise around, um, and we still have some pretty good pitchers in, in the wings. You lose George Springer. Oh, I guess we have Chaz McCormick and Kyle Tucker. You lose Carlos Correa. Now, last year, this was more true than it is this year, but you get Jeremy Pena. Even then, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Pena led Korean War this year. Um, but you get my point, where it's like you're not having that same drop-off in talent that you would for most franchises, right? Like, if the Yankees didn't have Aaron Judge, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to finish that sentence. I don't. I, right. I, I don't. And I'm not right. comparing the impact, let's say, Garrett Cole had on the Astros to, Garrett, to Aaron Judge, but 2019 Garrett Cole was freaking amazing. You know what I mean? So that I, I think it's that inability to replace these franchise icons. And they just, they just replaced 2019 Garrett Cole with a very – Maybe, like, missed applied, but very right. good uh, print they, for Valdez. They got, you know, they went from, hey, we have the best pitcher in baseball to, like, hey, we have the 10th best pitcher in baseball. Oh, no, the horror, right? Um, and look, I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and say the Ashes are definitively one thing or another, but I think you're right. Like, you're right. The, the personnel that were there to make these decisions and make these developmental uh, calls are no longer there. And the people that we presume or have publicly been, uh, you know, not even sourced, publicly stated to be the ones in charge of making these decisions are people with spotty track records. You've gone from going from James Click, who was, you know, bright guy, really smart dude, to the guy who gave Rafael Montero a big contract as your decision maker. Not great. Yeah, some concerns. Some concerns. Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the Astros will be good again next year, but I don't think it's as sure of a thing as it was a year ago. Listen, they came off the World Series, and that's obviously different, but like, I think this is the first year in the Astros' kind of seven-year run here where I'm a little skeptical about the future. Just a little. I do think they're still good because, 
listen, they still got Altuve. They still got Bregman. They still got Jordan. They still got Tucker. Like, they still have guys, and they still got McCormick, who, and, and, and they got Yiner Diaz as well. Like, they have objectively a very strong position player core. But Justin Verlander's a year older. Framber Valdez, again, he's good. It's just he's a little prone to blowups. Um, you have some questions about the rest of that pitching staff with like Hunter Brown, who I think is very good and will be very good, but you know the number, you know the results weren't necessarily there. Uh, JP France has some questions. You do have Lance McCullers still there. I mean, like he could come back. Who knows? Um, you have some questions about Jose Urquidy. I think they have a lot of questions on the pitching staff um, that they have to answer. But I do think that they'll still be relevant because their position player core is so good. And But yeah, I mean, I think this is the first year that there's some questions. Um, moving to the other series. So when we last spoke, Zach Wheeler absolutely dominated in Game 5. And they were giving the ball to Aaron Nola in Game 6. Um, and you and I both said, like, oh, they should be fine. Then they put a three spot on Aaron Nola in the second inning, answered back with one. But then Merrill Kelly, who's seemingly being an absolute dog this postseason, uh, it just cruised. I mean, Merrill Kelly was very, very good in that game. There were a lot of questions about, you know, should Kelly stay out there and everything like that. Pulled after five innings, only giving up one run. But he'd given up six base runners, had eight punch outs. Uh, he had thrown 90 pitches, um, and a lot of them early on were high stress. And so there were some questions and stuff, and people were like, oh, my God, another starting pitcher pulled too soon. And the Diamondbacks bullpen did a job again, Ryan. I mean, this bullpen that was kind of a lot of question marks going into it has been arguably the biggest strength of this team in this postseason. Yeah, uh, you know, look, I just want to point out to everybody you will only hear about a pitcher being pulled early when it doesn't work. Despite the countless Correct. examples of it working. This isn't to say you shouldn't leave a starter in after X point. I don't think there's any I don't think there's any definitive rule you should have for every single pitcher. Right? Like that goes against everything I think I've learned about pitching, and Max, I think you would definitely agree. Like pitching is not about one general thing that will always work for everybody no matter what, and you should always do it, right? Like I, I understand that. Correct. But with that being said, yeah, like Merrill Kelly had 90 pitches and this is the Philadelphia Phillies offense. Obviously, they didn't perform, but this idea that you can just be like, yeah, no, they just won't start hitting, right? Because that's how baseball works. Things just go the way I'd like them to go. If you want to say it's not entertaining, that's fine. I actually agree with that. I think it's actually really, it's not as entertaining, right? It's not as fun. I get that. But managers aren't in the business of entertainment. They're in the business of winning baseball games because that is their job and their livelihood, right? You can hate it. You can love it. You can feel every way you want to feel about it. But the proof is in the data. And the data says that these are the right calls. I know that Merrill Kelly, there was a there was a clip of him, you know, kind of chirping back at his manager or whatever. But I want that. And he right. should do that, that's, by the way. That's he a should. healthy manager-player dynamic. I don't know if people have ever been in a club, exactly. in a dugout or a clubhouse. It's not peaches and cream all the time. It's not sunshine. It's not, oh, you're so right, manager. I never am going to disagree with you. 
we brought on Coach Wilbur, and he said he wanted the complete opposite of that. He wanted guys who can push back sometimes on some things because that's healthy. This is a collaborative process, right? We, we, we've had, I'm t- I love being able to tie back to previous episodes. It's cool. Um, but baseball is about, and, and dynamics and, and player and coach relationships, they're about way more than just, oh, make sure that, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Zach Gallon fan, 445, again, wow, I keep going to that number combination, um, doesn't think, uh, uh, you know, thinks that me and you are buddies, like, no, it's about making sure that your team's in the best position to win, and then Kelly, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I guess, very soon, went on to shoving game two, right, like, I, I'm, I'm sure that he and the manager are, him, he and Lovello are not in, you know, quarrels about it. They won the game. It worked. Uh, and overall, that Diamondbacks team, like, I, I know Tommy Pham spoke, spoke about this. They seem to just have really good clubhouse chemistry. They seem to get a lot of buy-in. They seem to be all in here. Sure, maybe they're on just a hot streak, and who knows if they'll ever be back. Who knows how good they'll be in two, three years. But if they win this World Series, Max, does anybody care? No, and I think that's the way they view it. You never know when you're going to be back. I, I hate that phrase. We'll be back. I, I think every player will tell you they hate that. You're n- you don't know that. You don't know when you're going to be back, right? Just just go out. Got you. Got to take every shot to win these games. And, and I think Tori Lavello has done a really good job of that. I always this is a different sport, but remember when the Hawks made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals? You're thinking of the same tweet, aren't you? We're thinking we, of the exact yeah, same the Meek right Field tweet where he's like, yeah, like everyone says they'll be back, but like this was their best shot. And you never know when you're going to get another one. And the Hawks have never come close since. And they don't even, well, I mean, they're currently kicking the crap out of the Bucks. But, like, um, like yeah, you never know, right? And so the Tori Lovello is managing every game. Like, hey, I, I have to make the right call. Like, I have to, I can't leave a guy out there for too long. I gotta, I, I'd rather pull a guy too soon than pull him too late. And I don't really think that that's necessarily wrong to do that. Um, and so they go, you know. Diamondbacks win five to one. Um, game seven, it, it's Ranger Suarez versus Brandon Fott. Uh, Fott obviously coming off a great, great, great game three start. Um, Fott was good, not amazing, but he was good in, in this beginning. You know, four innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. Did give up a home run, um, and so you know they're they're losing two to one entering the top of the fifth. Uh, but the Diamondbacks get. Two runs in the top of the fifth, thanks to a uh, Corbin Carroll single, who had a really tremendous Game 7. Um, and then a uh, G- Gabriel Moreno uh, single as well. And then, again, Arizona goes right to the bullpen. Joe Mantiplea is up first, does a job. Then Ryan Thompson, he does a job. And then it gets dicey in the seventh inning. Um, and this is, the, I mean, this is where... It, if you didn't know his name yet, you're going to know it now. Uh, Kevin Ginkle comes in. You're a University of Arizona alum. Uh, bear down. Go, 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 Cats. Um, and basically, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's first and second, uh, one out, and he's coming in to face Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. And he gets Turner to basically fly out weekly to center field. Turner looks awful in that at bat. Um, and when you're facing Harper, I think we, t- we you know, you and I texted about this, just like, just throw him nothing but sliders, right? Like if he walks, he walks, it's whatever you have Alec Baum on deck. And I know Baum actually went yard in that game and everything like that, but like, well, come on, it's, it's Baum versus Harper. Like, what are you going to do? But Ginkle straight up challenges Harper, not once, but twice. 
And on the second one, Harper just missed it. And so Ginkle lives to see another day. And then in the bottom of the eighth, he strikes out the side. Probably one of the most dominant relief outings I've seen in a postseason in a long time. He was unbelievable in the eighth inning of that game. Yeah, and look, credit to that Dimebacks bullpen. Like, that's been an issue for them all year, right? Like, the bullpen, the bullpen, the bullpen. And, you know, again, shout out them. Like, I think you might have tweeted about this where it's like they went out and they got Paul Seawald. And look, not that Paul Seawald's the one who got out of that inning, but the ability to have Paul Seawald allows you to go to Ginkle then and not as your closer, right? Like that, Correct. that is the, there is a, there is almost a ripple effect in adding a really good reliever to your bullpen. It, it lengthens the bullpen. It makes your manager's job a lot easier. It makes so many jobs a lot easier. Um, they went in and look, maybe again, maybe they will lose in the world series. Maybe that happens, right? Like that, that could happen. It's probably what the betting odds would say is a likelier outcome. Um, but guess what? If they win again, none of this matters. Like, will they care of anybody they gave up? Will they ever care? No. And I, I think, look, are they the team that spends the most? No. Um, and I think that should improve and hopefully it does. Um, but going all in for a team that wasn't necessarily clearly going to make the playoffs, like a team that if they didn't go in all in, they could have justifiably said, well, we didn't know we'd be here and we'll be back. Right. And that would have sold like people would have bought tickets and still would have bought stock on the Diamondbacks. And it says like, no, we're in a playoff spot. Let's go all in and let's go get Paul Seawald. And again, just a big addition and Tommy for them. Pham. Right. Yeah. Tommy Pham. Another uh, just again, I, I think two that they, really huge contributors to this postseason team. Like, yeah, they've been really good, partially in because of those two guys. So and also, like yeah. as you mentioned, with uh, challenging Harper there, and it's kind of like an embodiment of the Diamondbacks. Just a ballsy, gutsy team, man. Just a, they're just no ballsy, fear. dude. No, no fear. fear. Like this Tori Lovello, like Tori Lovello. He's not that he's making like arrogant comments. Uh, arrogance is not the word I want to use here. He's making comments that. You he's defending like, his team, right? Like he would. He's making comments that people are like, "Oh, you don't want to say that about the Philadelphia Phillies." And then he beat, they beat the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Like, it's like, you know, he makes the comment. Did you hear the comment where it's like after the Corey Seager home run? He's like, wow, this is the last I've heard of stadium. And yeah. It was like a jab. I don't know if it was intended to be one, but I feel like it definitely was. And a lot of people on social media reacted that way. Um, just the, the dude ride, rides and dies with his team. I don't know how much of an effect that has on, you know, a player's war or whatever, but I'm sure it's it nice to have a manager's on, confidence. Right, like, like I, you, again, yeah, you, you have when your manager is like, "Hey, man, I'm living and dying with you, and I care just as much." Yeah, as you. I'll get that makes you play better. Yeah, at least like, in my opinion. And also, end of the day, it's like it harkens back to this concept of I don't care what a sports writer's opinion of how a manager motivates their players are is. I care about how players think of their manager. That is what I care about. Now, yeah, and there again, like. Uh, you know, Stephen came on the podcast and kind of sec like he 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 brought this thought out that I thought was really like what is the difference between like Brian Snitker's decision making for bullpens and like Gabe Kapler's right like are they not gonna go to on a day to day basis the same caliber of arms you know what I'm saying um right like right if they were given the same game most almost all managers would manage it pretty much exactly the same way right it's just like dude. If it, like if you want a guy fired because he made one bullpen decision that you didn't like, like I, I'm sure that you could hire Kevin Cash. There are Rays fans who don't like Kevin Cash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's crazy to me. It's a thankless <laughs> job, nuts. man. It's a thankless job. But as long as the players can rally behind the guy and he doesn't 
is it like the legitimately the worst game time manager of all time? You're fine, right? Like the Dusty Baker, probably five or six years removed from when he should be still managing top level teams, won a World Series. Yep, I, you know it doesn't. And the play, as long as the players like him, right? As long as the players like the guy, and you're really, really good, you'll probably win a lot of games. And Tori Lovello not only has he made gutsy decisions, he's also sticking up for his guys. And I just have a lot of respect for that clubhouse. I do too, and I also have a lot of respect for the fact that Tori Lovello called out Chris Russo, who said that if the Diamondbacks win the series, he would retire, which would have been a great thing for the world. But unfortunately, we all knew that he was lying. Uh, said I enjoy, I would, I look forward to hearing about your retirement and everything. Uh, but instead. Rousseau, obviously, was just like, oh, I'll find another way to make it up to them, blah, 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 because that's what Russo does. Uh, but yeah, I have a ton of respect for the Diamondbacks. And it's come out the first two games of this World Series. Um, in game one, Nathan Avaldi versus Zach Gallen. Neither guy was particularly great. Gallen was a little bit better, um, but I would not call it amazing. Um, you know, they jumped on... Uh, of all the early, um, and you know, he wasn't particularly sharp. He was throwing hard though. Um, if I remember correctly, but he gave up five runs and four and two thirds had eight strikeouts to one walk, but again, not amazing. Um, and then there were some strange bullpen decisions, but you know, it, it ended up working out bringing in John Gray, obviously a very good decision. Um, but you know, he went to Dane Dunning and Bradford, back-to-back, really has gone to Dunning in, like, one-inning scenarios, which is very odd given the fact that he was starting for a large portion of the year. But, you know, the the Rangers, you know, they stay relatively um, in it. Um, And, or sorry, they scored three runs in the third inning, not the first inning, I should say. Uh, And, you know, in the ninth inning, Corey Seager hits a two-run home run off of Paul Seawald. Again, we were talking about the high, you know, high end zone fastball that creates whiffs, which Paul Seawald has and how the Rangers were able to adapt to it. And Corey Seager put another really good swing on it and tied the game. And then two innings later, Adolis Garcia mishits a ball to right field and it goes over the fence, continuing one of probably the best offensive postseasons we've ever seen from a player. Adolis has been amazing. And the Rangers went 6-5. But the Diamondbacks for basically eight and a third innings were significantly outplaying the Rangers in that game. Um, And, you know, again, the Rangers will say, oh, well, you know, we have Jordan Montgomery going in game two. Um, But Jordan Montgomery is now at, I believe, like 218 innings this year, which is like 30 more than he's ever thrown in a season before. And pitching way deeper into any season that he's pitched before. Uh, And I think it started to show yesterday. Yeah, and look, first off, shout out, shout out uh, Cody Bradford. Uh, six and two-thirds school, uh, innings of, of one-run baseball in the postseason. Like, it's stuff like that, man, that just you – need, you need stuff like that to happen to you in order for you to win a World Series. Um, not saying Cody Bradford is, like, trash or anything, but, like, you know, you don't expect him to give you six and two-third innings of one-run baseball. Anyways, uh, back to the main point here. Yeah, you got to – I'm a little concerned just from the perspective of the Rangers pitching staff not that at some point they're going to hit a wall, but they could. It's a they're leaking series. oil, right? They're right. leaking oil. Now the really cool thing about the Diamondbacks is that they're going to have Brandon Fott coming off of some really just damn good starts, man. And the bad thing for the Rangers is they're going to Max Scherzer, who 
has been terrible. Like, really, really bad. Like, horrible. But then again, hearkening back to the things that need to happen for you to win a World Series, the Rangers cannot continue to get Max Scherzer stinkers and win the World Series. He needs to pitch well in order for them to win this this series. Again, I, the problem, I think, is the Rangers keep expecting him to go five innings or so. Right. And, and that's just not—listen, he's old. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher, one of my favorite pitchers ever. I've had the pl- you know pleasure of meeting him, and he was an extremely nice guy. I root for the guy always. But he is 40, coming off an injury. He, like, you— in a year where he was inconsistent at best. Like, change your expectations. Like, he should be going three innings at the most. And that, yeah. that's it. And honestly, like, I just I feel like game game three is the Diamondbacks game to lose. And if you're the Diamondbacks and you get that first game at home, if you're the Rangers, like, man, we really have to send this series back to Texas. You need to like you need to send this series back to Texas. There's no way this series can't go back to Texas. Like if you're the like, you can't go. You can't get this far. Go to the World Series, win your first game of the series, and then proceed to get stomped. Yeah, it it you gotta respond right. Um, again, they threw John Gray in Game One, so he's not an option. Maybe he's an option out of the bullpen. They've been very weird with their usage of Dane Dunning, as I just said. But, you know, in game two of this series, Jordan Montgomery didn't register a whiff until, what, the fifth inning? Right? Like, he had gone the first four innings without registering a whiff. And he gets through six innings of two-run ball. His pitch count is obviously pretty low because the Diamondbacks are putting everything in play. Um... But he gave you six innings of two-run ball, and they sent him back out there to face, you know, a lineup, essentially. Well, he was facing the bottom of the lineup, and it started off with Thomas, who's left-handed, and like, okay, you had Andrew Heaney warming. And this is where they, they lost the game. It's just Bruce Bochy, I don't know what happened. Like, very, very bad decision-making from basically starting Montgomery in the seventh on. Just... Pulled Montgomery after he, you know, gave up a run uh, after a Thomas double and then a Longo single, and then goes to Andrew Heaney for some weird reason that obviously didn't really work out super great. Then he goes to Chris Stratton, uh, or sorry, then he goes to Dane Dunning again for an inning and a third, for uh, sorry, a third of an inning, again for some weird reason, and then he goes to Chris Stratton in the eighth inning. When it's still four to one, a close game, not unreachable. And Tori Lovello sends Pavin Smith up there. And for some reason, Bochi pulls Stratton and goes to Martin Perez to have a lefty face Pavin Smith. Pavin Smith. Perez ends up giving up four earned runs, one of them charged to Stratton. So five runs to make it a 9 to 1 game. Now, I'm not saying that you, you the Rangers offense obviously fell flat and everything and you can't, you know, you, you, the offense is still the first thing to blame. They scored one run. That's their problem. But 
I mean, like Bochi's decision making effectively took them out of the game. Like they were down two to one. If he just goes right to the bullpen in the seventh, I'm not saying that they don't give up those runs anyway. I'm I don't know. Maybe they do, but I I certainly feel like you have to feel a lot better about your odds being you know down two to one, going into the seventh inning, going to a bullpen that is probably better than what your starter is going to give you right now. Because there was nothing about that game. We've talked a lot about how like you should use numbers and feel and everything, and like everything's just information. Everything screamed, pulled Jordan Montgomery from that game, and he didn't. And got what he paid for. The The issue I have with... Uh, I, look, I understand like you don't want to burn your bullpen. And in the Rangers case, you kind of have to like know when a game is done because... You can't burn guys. Like the second you start burning dudes in this bullpen, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be out of ammo. And especially with a Max Scherzer game coming up, you, you gotta be equipped. You gotta be ready to, to go in there and, and expect your bullpen. You have to be ready to have your bullpen up and going by like the third or fourth inning. Again, no disrespect to Max Scherzer, but that's just the state of where he is in his career right now. Um, but Martin Perez, like that's really that's that's what we're doing here. Like I don't know, I don't. I'm not, look, I'm not a manager. I don't know. Maybe I don't know the situation fully. Maybe I'm not, you know, fully rehearsed with what the availability card looked like for them. But it just, it what it feels like is they, what it feels like is they thought, maybe they gave up on the game too soon or maybe they genuinely thought like, hey, if Martin Perez can keep us in this game, we're golden. And it just didn't work. I just, they've got, they have to win. They have to win tomorrow, man. Like they, I, I really do feel like they have to win tomorrow. Like not that, not that the series is over, but it's like, I don't know. Like this is just, they, not that they have, they've played well on the road. I get it. But I feel like right now, as you mentioned, it's starting to leak their bull, their pitching staff. And if it, if it gets bad enough, if, if, if Aldi and Montgomery, their next time through, don't go into the sixth and seventh inning or sixth or seventh inning each. I don't know if we're going to... I don't think they're going to win the series, right? Like, that's why they got to the World Series in the first place. Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Nivaldi had consistently been pitching into the 6th and 7th inning every single time. And now, they're... Like, are they in a funk? Are they going to rebound? Like, it's not as sure of a thing this time around. And not having that, it feels like, as you mentioned, they're just getting outplayed. Like, the Diamondbacks have them on the ropes. So, we'll have to see. Maybe... You know what? Look, Nivaldi turned in a bad start after some great ones. Monty did the same thing. Maybe it's Scherzer's turn to flip the script and be like, hey, you know what? I've had a couple bad starts, but maybe I feel a little bit better. Maybe my command's a little bit sharper. Maybe I feel a little bit more comfortable, whatever it may be. But I don't know. Like that that game two loss was just an ass kicking. Like the first one was a it was awesome. That was a great win for them. But the second game, like that wasn't close. Like you get you just get blown out towards the end. I don't know. I I think I'm down the Rangers, man. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned. I have concerns. You know, they didn't look good in the first two games. Again, Paul Seawold holds on to the, the you know game one. They're down 2-0, right? Like, props to Corey Seager having a great postseason and everything, and props to Adolis also having a great postseason, like I said. But for the bulk of this series, the Diamondbacks have thoroughly outplayed the Rangers. Um, and so that's concerning. It's just That's just the truth. It's just concerning. Um I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think if the Rangers, the Rangers need to win one of these next two for me to kind of like feel better about things. But the thing is, is it's game three, Max Scherzer, game four, bullpen game, right? For both sides. Um, but that's not, not reassuring 
um, is what I would say. Um, and then you have Evaldi for game five and Montgomery for game six. And then Scherzer, if need be, for game seven. Oh, God. Um, I mean, it worked out once, I guess. Uh, changing tunes a little bit here. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a little bit of an off-season discussion. Oh, no, that means baseball is almost over, which is very sad. But there were some rumors put out there this week in regards to a couple of big names on the free agent market. Obviously, the biggest name being Shohei Otani. Um, John Heyman had reported that the three likeliest teams to sign Shohei Otani are the Texas Rangers, the San Francisco Giants, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. I am not surprised by any of those three. Um, But again, I think it's just going to be the Dodgers. I know that they need pitching on top of that because obviously Otani can't pitch next year. But there are plenty of guys available on this market. Like, as we said before recording, like, if you're a team that needs pitching, you really have no excuse this offseason. There's a ton of guys who are very good um, available. So definitely, definitely something to keep an eye on. But again, pretty confident he just goes to the Dodgers. There have been some other reports about, like, the East Coast things not really that important to him. And, you know, he'll play wherever, you know, he thinks he has the best chance to win. But again, all of that just points to the Dodgers, right? Like, they're the best-ran team in the sport. They have a lot of money. They cleared money to sign him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a Dodger. I don't, I, we'll discuss it at another point, but nothing in the Heyman's report basically changed my mind on that. Yeah, it's like, all right, uh, you know, he wants to. He wants to. Uh, he wants to win. Yeah. So why would he go to the Mets and the Yankees over the Dodgers? Right. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Like I, I, I mean this in the, like I know it's like oh well, you know Steve Cohen will just give him more money than anybody could imagine. It's like that's not how baseball works. That's never how any organization. Like that's not even how Steve Cohen works. It's if you look at the offer made to let's say Max Scherzer, it was not. A billion dollars more than what the Dodgers were offering. It was marginally more than the Dodgers were offering. The Dodgers were like, "Yeah, no, we're we're not topping that," and that's how it happened, right? Like, it's also again like Otani could just be like, "Yeah, sorry, man, I'm not interested," and that's it. Yeah, and look, I think he will be because like, why not? Not why would you not want the most money? But like, yeah, why would you not want the most money? It's like at least you gotta at least keep teams interested in bidding. But if he doesn't want to go there, and that's who he is, like, right? Like money regardless, the Dodgers are willing to give him enough money for him to be happy. It's it's not a question of like, with other teams. I think you're right, but with Otani, I think it's different because they're. I think the Rangers and the Giants are also in contention because I do think that they're willing to pay him. Yeah, so no, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I was about to sneeze. Oh, my just, bad. <laughs> that's why I had to stop. I was like, oh, am I going to sneeze on on air right now? Oh, God. Uh, you can keep this in. It's fine. It's funny. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Giants, we talked about it with Steven. They need that big free agent signing, right? Obviously, you can't get bigger than Otani. Um, and they've been willing to shell it out, so they could be in contention. The Rangers throw money at everything. Like, they're willing to spend two. And, obviously, they're in the World Series, so... You could, you know, argue for them. The thing is, again, like, consistently the Dodgers have had a lot of success. And so if it comes down to, like, Rangers, Dodgers, Giants, I understand the Rangers' appeal, 
a little bit because they just made the world. Obviously, they're in the World Series right now, um, and they're willing to spend. But I don't see the appeal of the Giants over the Dodgers in the sense of, like, if you care about winning, why wouldn't you just go to the team that's won in that division more than anybody else, right? Like, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. I, again, it's just it's hard to see how anybody can make a better case to sign Otani or to Otani than the Dodgers, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's like, um, let's let's just, again, let's be honest with ourselves here. You could say, well, they choke in the playoffs every year. They've won a World Series in that run. and They choke until they don't, though, right? Right, and another thing, too, is like, let's say you're a free agent, and somebody's like, hey, do you want to play for the Braves? Do you know how much of a petulant child you would sound like if you were like, nope, they choke every year? Like, your agent, <laughs> if they're like, hey, they have the best offer on the table, and you went, you retorted with, no, they choke every year. Like your agent would, your agent would have a stern talking to with you. Players are not Twitter trolls. I feel like that's kind of like a big thing. You may have narratives and you know, you may like not like a certain team or whatever. Players are not trolls. Players are real human beings who are not, you know, obsessed and attached to the internet and have lives and care about their baseball career. They're not, they're not worried about what like, Oh man, I hope, uh, you know, I hope, uh, Crawford troll doesn't think I, you know, hate the, I didn't say the number this time. Let's go. Um, I hope Crawford troll doesn't think I'm a fraud. Oh no. It's like, I'm going to go hit 40 home runs or maybe 50. And then in 2025, I'm going to compete for the NL Cy Young award. And I'm going to contend for a world series every year. And I'll live in Los Angeles and I'll probably win a world series in my time with the Dodgers. So it's like, who cares? That's another thing right? too, like, he, he doesn't have to move. Think about that. Yeah. Like you just, you go from this organization that is being nice, not very well ran. Um, and you get to stay in town, in your house, and just go to the best ran organization in the sport. And they're going to throw $500 million at you because they have no problem doing that. Also, the thing about the Dodgers that you have to realize, too, is they don't have dollars committed long term. They have Mookie and they have Freddie, and that's it. And again, they've already had two years of Freddie. I think he's only got four years left on that deal. Their, their money is extremely free, so they're always going to be in contention to sign top-tier names for good deals because they don't have a lot of money committed because of the way they've done things. So, yeah, I, I again, I just don't see how anybody can make a better argument to sign Otani than the Dodgers. Um, moving to probably, I don't know, I guess it's like 2A and 2B here on uh, names on the market. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is currently in the postseason, and he started to struggle a little bit for kind of like the first time in his career, really. Um, And as many may have pointed out, uh, I've certainly seen it be pointed out, he's never pitched this long in terms of like time duration. Obviously, he's thrown more innings, but he had to get started earlier for the World Baseball Classic. It's likely that he's just kind of out of gas at this point. Um, he's still racking up strikeouts and still working deep into games, but he's given up a lot more hits and a lot more runs. Um, but there was a report that basically everyone expects the bidding to start around $200 million for Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, we've discussed it on the pod before, but you and I are pretty much in agreement that that makes sense. Like where he goes, not entirely sure. Um, you know, from people that I have talked to, uh, 
there's a strong sense that teams like the Cubs, uh, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and maybe the Giants again here um, are the kind of the favorites. Obviously, the Red Sox and the Mets have been in there as well. Um, but those four teams probably are better positioned than others. But again, like if the Dodgers are going after Otani, it's hard to see how they get both. Though, you know, if any team were to do it, I would not be shocked if it would be them. Um, but not really sure what his market is, but it sounds like he's going to get paid. Uh, yeah. And again, I tweeted this out. It's like, if you genuinely feel like him not putting up a great postseason is a reason for you not to sign him. Uh, I think everybody that has a team they root for is glad you don't work in their front office. Again, uh, you know, Steven mentioned this on the podcast when he was like, you know, if there's one guy you could sign, he was talking about like Yamamoto. I was like, look, would that help their offense? No, but it, who cares, right? Like it's Yoshinobu Yamamoto, right? Um, if you're like, man, 25-year-old international superstar doesn't fit our roster, you're wrong. Like maybe you're talking about like, no, there isn't a roster. Like you don't even. Have to, there's no. That's not even like a WBC roster. There is no roster that's ever been assembled in the history of sports that he would not fit on in terms of baseball. Um, I, he's 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 a he's a, he might be a generational he might be a generational talent. Like I, his stuff is that good. Um, now there are concerns about height. You were talking to me about this actually beforehand. Where like there are like sm- smaller pitchers, shorter pitchers don't hold up very well. Uh, in ter- long term, but you know, there's a lot of things about how his mechanics look really good and it's a smooth delivery and they're not too concerned. Um, and a- another big thing here is just, he's 25 years old. If you gave him 10 years, 200 million, it would be 20, $20 million towards your luxury tax. And oh yeah, he would be, his contract would expire when he's 35. So hardly the point in time where you'd be like, yeah, this guy will never be good at this age. If you give him an eight year deal, right? He'll enter free agency at 32 or no, excuse me, 33. Um, you know, and if you give him $230 million, like even, the, even that luxury tax hit isn't crazy. I think he's going to, I think it's clear at this point, he's going to have get the biggest contract for any player coming forward from the MBPB. I, I guess the question I have for you, Max, do you think his contract is greater than or less than the Steven Strasburg's contract, which is $245 million? I don't think he's going to surpass Coles, obviously. That was $324 million, but he's in line to get the biggest contract for a free agent pitcher since those two guys. So... Over or under on 245? What do you think? I'm going under, but I think it's going to be really damn close. I think it's going to be in the 225 to 235 range, um, around eight eight years or so. So it's really close. Um, you know, I could see a team being able to get him for seven, like 225, which obviously raises the average annual value, which he might value. You know, it's, it's hard to know. Um but I'm going to go under. Uh, I, I think it's, again, I think he's obviously very good. But whenever they come over, you have the six days rest moving to five days rest, if that's an option. You know, I'd obviously the mess with Kodai Senga just kept him on six. Um, and then you also have the different baseball and you have adjusting to the travel schedule of, you know, flying across countries and everything like that that you know a lot of players that internationally are not used to so there's a couple of different things um that factor into it ultimately why players from the mpb and the kbo don't get the kind of deals that uh american free agents do but yamamoto is very clearly the biggest name um 
you know, outside of Otani to ever come over. Um, probably since, I don't know, Ichiro, I would say. Um, so this is, you know, it's a big deal and he'll, he'll get a lot of money, but ultimately I think he falls short of the, the Strasburg line, but I think it's really close, really, 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 really close. What about you? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that it'll get to, I think it'll be $240 million. Like that, I think it's gonna be eight years, $240 million. Uh, and I'm, that's, I think $30 million a year, which it's a lot of money, but I mean, it, we're talking about the bidding war for a guy like Yamamoto and the teams who are involved are big spenders. This isn't like, you know, we're talking about the Yankees and the Mets and the Dodgers, right? Like these teams spend, if if he goes to one of these teams, it's going to be because somebody put that nuts on the table kind of offer, right? And again, this isn't like an outrageous bill to put for Yoshino Yamamoto as inflation and other variables, uh, you know, play its role. I'm sure that it won't be as, it won't feel like as much money as it did maybe initially as signing. Um, now, it, it is noted that you have to pay a fee on top of that, so I wonder if that plays a role in how much money he's going to get. Like, will teams kind of cap themselves closer to 230 because of that, right? Because the total bill you're footing isn't just 240. If you're, you're spending 240, let's say, that number gets closer to 260 or 270. And again, like, maybe for a guy like Steve Cohen, it won't matter. I don't know. Maybe it will. I, I Again, don't know. Uh, but maybe for, like, a team like the Cubs, it might matter. Where it might, They might be like... You know, we. Don't I think wanna, you're right. You know There's a mean? line. There's a line, right? right? There has the to be a line for any team. The posting fee obviously is a factor in this as well. Um, I know that MLB teams have like always kind of complained in the past about like wanting a better system than just the posting fee, um, and you know, the MPB teams have always been like, well, we want a larger share of the money that comes over. There's probably a better system than what's currently going on. Um, I'm sorry, my, my, my cat Hank is on a sneezing fit. He's, he's going crazy. He literally just sneezed like more, 12 more times sneeze, in a row. More sneezing. Was, what's higher, sneezes in a row or Luis Castillo fastballs against the White Sox? Oh, the Castillo fastballs <laughs> is much higher. Um, but the, he looks, he appears to be okay. But anyway, um, yeah, there's probably a better system than what's currently going on. What a transition, by the way. Uh, so... I'm not sure, but I think the posting fee is another factor in this as well, and that's kind of why I'm like I don't think he gets the clo- to the to the 240 mark, but I think it'll be remarkably close. And again, the market will tell you. Also, you have, there's substitutes value for Yamamoto as well. Again, it's a great market for pitching. Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, uh, Marcus Stroman might be available too if you're into that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of names on this market. So, yeah, I, I, that's part of why I think it's going to be tough for him to reach the 240 mark. But it'll be close. It, it'll, it'll be very close. I, I, we have to wait a little bit longer to kind of figure his market out. Uh, we have the GM meetings in, I think, about two weeks. And that will kind of reveal things a little bit more because you'll get teams that we may have thought were interested in Yamamoto actually aren't and teams that we weren't uh, sure that were interested in Yamamoto that are like I could see the Astros being a team that's actually interested in Yamamoto as well. So um, I'm you know just have to wait a little bit, but the GM meetings in two weeks will kind of help reveal things. Yeah, you know I'm gonna throw my hat out there and I'm gonna say team that probably that I not well they have been mentioned. The Cardinals have been mentioned pretty frequently. Not that I think the Cardinals are gonna land him, but I think they'll finish top three in bidding. I really believe they're gonna 
they need they, they obviously need starting pitching but this is the type of year that like rocks a franchise to its core especially when it's one like the cardinals right like they're they're clearly not a franchise i mean how many times have you seen the cardinals get booed at bush like how many times have you seen that you know what i mean we saw that this year I, i'm not look people can people i don't think owners I think owners are a little way too much profit over pro- product, and I think that's clear in how teams have been operated forever. Um, but I, I do think there's a line. I do think there's a all right. We have to retain our core viewers. We can't let the Cardinals lose their, I guess, luster as a franchise. We have to go out and make some moves. And if a guy like Yoshinobu Yamamoto, if from the Cardinals' perspective, that's the type of guy who you build around, like that, you build around him in your pitching staff, and that's important, right? I think Yamamoto, to a lot of teams, represents an opportunity to get a guy to, you know, anchor rotation around. Because once you get Yamamoto, let's say you go out and you get that second tier starting pitcher, and then you sign like a Seth Lugo or whatever it may be. Now you've got one hell of a rotation. You know what I mean? Now you have, you know, a real pitching staff. And the Rangers kind of prove this. You can kind of just buy your way into a pitching staff. You can go from, we don't know how to develop pitching. We probably still don't develop pitching very well to all right, we have a bunch of great starting pitching. And even though DeGrom is hurt and Scherzer hasn't been effective and you're relying on Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Navaldi, who, you know, prior to the season, if you would have said that, you'd be like, wow, yeah, this team is not even getting to the ALCS, right? If you rely on enough good pitching, you'll get places. And I think that the Cardinals at some point are going to recognize, yeah, we just need to get a bunch of good starting pitching. This is the market to do it. Um, the third guy that we're going to talk about is... Um, you know, depending on uh, who you talk to in terms of New York media, uh, if you talk to John Heyman, he'll tell you that the Yankees and Padres have not had preliminary discussions about Juan Soto, but that they will happen. If you talk to Andy Martino, uh, he'll tell you that those preliminary discussions have happened. Um, now, here's what I'll say is Martino didn't say when those discussions happened. He just said that they did. Uh, Heyman said that they hadn't happened this offseason, but they had spoken at the deadline. They could be just talking about the same thing. Um, Martino has been very, very tapped in uh, to the Yankees' uh, front office this past couple years. I mean, he was pretty much the only guy saying that they're interested in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Remember that? Which, not to yeah. you know, bring you down bad memory lane, but, you know, Martino has gotten stuff, you know, on the sort of cusp of being correct and everything and he's he's had some accurate reporting over the past few years um i'm not telling you to pick a side or anything like that but i the yankees interest in soto is probably known and is probably serious um the other team that i i considered you know if you follow me on twitter i said that there were three main teams that i think could put together a better package for juan soto to san diego than anywhere else one was the yankees the other was the Mariners, who are probably not interested in Soto, but I do feel like if they were, they could pretty much outbid anybody because they have MLB-ready young pitching, which not any other team really has outside of them. But the third is the Cubs, and Bruce uh, Levine, uh, a writer for, I think, uh, what is he, one, one, uh, one of the local radio stations there, I think, uh, said that they the Cubs have had an interest in Juan Soto and that the Padres seem to like Christopher Morel. He suggested that potentially if the Cubs ate all of Soto's arbitration contract, that a one-for-one for, one for Morel for Soto could end up happening. Listen, 
I'm just a guy, and I'm not telling you that my word's more valuable or anything, but I can tell you right now that that's not going to happen. Um, I've spoken to people who know people within the organization. I've spoken to people within the organization, uh, and they said, no way. So if you are a Cubs fan listening to this thinking that you can trade Christopher Morel one for one for Juan Soto, uh, you are wrong. It's not going to happen. The Padres want young, controllable starting pitching back. Um, That's pretty well documented. It's pretty well known that that's what they need. And the Cubs, Mariners, and the Yankees are are better, you know, attributed to that than anybody else. I think it just comes down to what are both teams comfortable with trading. I think if you're the Yankees and you're willing to trade Chase Hampton, I don't see how this deal doesn't get done if you're the Yankees, if Juan Soto is to be traded. I don't think he's going to get traded, but if, if he is then I think if you're willing to trade Chase Hampton, then I, I it, it's hard to see, unless the Mariners are willing, again, to make a deal, how anybody can really beat you. I, I know what the Padres look for in starting pitchers, and Hampton has everything that they look for in starting pitcher. Um, but, again, how likely is he going to be traded? Unknown, because while Bob Melvin walked to San Francisco, which we will discuss in just a second— A.J. Preller remains in San Diego. I have no idea how. And now he could be in charge of either extending Juan Soto or trying to trade Juan Soto. Man, that's crazy to me. Yeah, the way I view it is if you're the Padres, let's let's talk from, okay, you're a Padres fan or you're the Padres front office. This is objectively true. And we talked about this before the, the, the uh, recording. You should go for it. Nobody's going to care that you traded for Juan Soto and let him go in free agency if you win a World Series. Nobody will care. I promise you nobody will care. I promise you nobody's going to be like, well, Manny Machado didn't like this guy. Or, well, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, he took steroids. Like nobody, Nobody is going to care if you win the World Series. Now, people will care if you trade Juan Soto and they never really get back. And this core just kind of whittles away, and they have to trade more guys down the road because of financial constraints. And Bogarts becomes an albatross. You know what I mean? Like it's like there the road in which this goes poorly for you increases exponentially the second Juan Soto leaves your roster, right? So um, if you're the owner, and, I'm, and we know that the Padres owner cares about winning, and he cares about he wants that team to win, you don't want to trade Juan Soto. Um, and if you're AJ Preller, maybe you're more open to it from the, like, he's just like, I don't think AJ Preller has a, a thing against selling. Um, but at the same time, you know, like, and also maybe the fact that he kept his job gives him a little more security to be able to sell. But if you're the owner, it's like, you're letting him survive that first disastrous, like binge in 2015. And this one wasn't disastrous per se, because it did yield the playoff appearance and a playoff series win but it wasn't what it's supposed to be. It's hard to argue that the San Diego Padres haven't been a disappointment since 2020. They make the playoffs in 2020. They're a fun young team. They go out and get Joe Musgrove. They go out and get Blake Snell. They're super aggressive. They had Manny Machado, or they still do, excuse me. Um, And you fail, and you get you Darvish, and you're you're failing to be the team you should be. You're failing to be competing with the Dodgers every single year. You're failing to... Not saying it's the NL is weak, but but in an NL that really lacks that thirst that tertiary team, right? Like you think Dodgers, Braves, and the Phillies have kind of tried to climb in there, but um, you know, I I don't know if they from like a process standpoint got into that point. Like I feel like the Dodgers are just leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. 
your owner is willing to spend. AJ Preller, they have to win a World Series. How is he not fired? I think that's really my big thing here. It's crazy. That's why it's I walk genuinely crazy that he still has the job. I just I don't understand it. He's going to hire, I believe, either his sixth or seventh manager in ten years. How can you let that happen if you're the man? If you're the owner, and this is nothing against AJ Preller. I think he's probably a fine guy. He's just not very good at the job. Like just being honest, he's just not very good at the job. Should they go for it? Yes, they they had a, a team this year that was pretty good. But the issue is Snell's gone. Hater's gone. Lugo might come back. Waka maybe, but I kind of doubt it. They need pitching, and those are four pitchers gone. And Lugo was a pretty good starter for them this year. And Waka wasn't bad either. So, And they're losing the NL Cy Young winner, as much as that pains me to say. Um, so I just, should they go for it? I think you can make the easy argument. Yes. And it's also because they're not going to get the return on it. That was anything close to the price they paid because of course not. It's one year of Juan Soto. Like you're not trading in the, in the sense of maybe you overpay a little cause you hope you extend him. And I definitely think that's part of the trade. Um, but you're still only trading for one year of Juan Soto. Um, so that's something to uh, consider. If he gets traded, I don't know where it is. I know some people uh, have said that it seems like the Yankees are probably the favorites at the moment, and I think that's probably true. I think the Cubs are right there as well. Um, other teams have been listed as like the Red Sox would have interest. They just don't line up well here. I, I, like if they... We're trying to trade for with a team that needed young position players. I think the Red Sox would be extremely well, you know, adept at making that trade. Like the Brewers, again, are a, a decent team for the Red Sox to try and target a trade for pitching with, which is why I, why I still have fears. I'm not not as many as I used to, but I still have fears of Roman Anthony being a Brewer for Corbin Burns, which would be crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see the Red Sox making the deal here. The Mets again. Just not not lined up well with with the with the Padres needs or anything like that. I think it's the Yankees and the Cubs because Chase Hampton, Cade Horton um, are two names that obviously are, are going to give uh, the the uh, Padres a pretty good chance at you know getting that young controllable starting pitching. Clark Schmidt, Mike King, other guys that that are available. Um, yeah, it, it's just I think those are the two teams that are more than likely going to come out on top if if Soto gets traded. Should he? Don't know. Will he? We don't think so. But I think those two teams, if he ends up anywhere, is going to be one of those two spots. Yeah, absolutely. And look, here's how I view the Cubs and the Yankees, like their cases for getting Juan Soto. Yankees, as you mentioned, is like, all right, they have a bunch of pitching prospects and all that stuff. Same with the Cubs. Uh, I do, like you mentioned, Morrell for Soto would not work, and I agree. Like, I and I love Christopher Morrell, but let's be real here. Um, I think the Cubs' advantage is they have a guy like Christopher Morrell. The Yankees don't necessarily have a position player like Christopher Morrell, but they have a pitcher. Now, Michael King isn't 
my, like Clark Schmidt and Christopher Morrell have the same amount of control, but I would rather, I think, have Christopher Morrell than Clark Schmidt just from like a who's better right now standpoint, especially since the Padres can use a DH. Like Christopher Morrell can just be a DH who goes out there and mashes. And yes, he's volatile, but like Clark Schmidt isn't necessarily, we're not sure of him as a starter yet, if you get what I'm saying. Um, in the case of Michael King, though, yeah, there are fewer years of control, but he's clearly like he would clearly help the Padres a lot more. And assuming that the report from Martino is somewhat accurate, which I think it is, as you mentioned, Martino is pretty in tune. He also said the Yankees weren't in on Correa. He said the Yankees weren't going to be, like, aggressive for Seager. He was one of the few guys who were saying, yeah, Harper's not happening. One of the few guys saying, like, the Machado aggression isn't really there. Um, but Michael King, if he's right about that, about the Padres wanting to compete and not just tear it all down, Michael King is the guy who helps them the most. And it's not close either, right? Like, he is clearly the guy who you slot him into the Padres rotation, and he instantly provides the value they're looking for. If the Padres really want a DH, go sign Jock Peterson. Go sign Mitch Garver, right? Like, it's going to cost you, what, $10 million? It'll cost you less to find a good DH than it, and a, a shorter financial commitment than it would be to find a guy like Michael King on the market, if you get what I'm saying. Even if you just brought back Seth Lugo, that's going to cost more, right? So if you're the Padres and money is an issue and you're trading Juan Soto and it's because you need to lose, you know, you need to shed salary and you want to kind of reload for the future while also remaining competitive, I think that Michael King is kind of the equalizer here. Are the Yankees going to trade Michael King for, uh, you know, Juan Soto in, in a package? I'd imagine they would. I'm not saying the Yankees have like the clear advantage and there's no world where the Padres and the Cubs don't make a trade that is better than whatever offer the Yankees give. But I do think that's an equalizer here. Um, but it'll, it should be noted, AJ Preller and the Cubs have extensive trade history. Obviously, the U Darvish trade is a big one you think of, but there is a trade history there. So I think that helps the Cubs a little bit here. Whereas when is the last time the Yankees and Padres have made a big deal? It's It's been a while. I don't think AJ Preller and the Yankees, am I mistake? Am I thinking, am I overlooking a trade here? I don't think AJ Preller I don't, and Cash the, the Luke Voigt deal i guess is that really that's yeah, not big though but like that's a nothing. trade they've never had a trade to the caliber of the Udarvish trade so the cubs and the Padres have had higher profile dealings i guess is what i would list as the thing that i think could help the cubs a lot here but i think it's yankees and cubs at this point um as you mentioned mariners could if they wanted to if they wanted to is unknown um and yeah i don't think the mets can do it and i don't think the red sox can do it not because they don't have good prospects but because their prospects are in the wrong position group they're all position players for the most part. Like, if the Padres needed position players, I would say the Red Sox are the team, but they don't. They, they need pitching. So, yeah. Agreed. That's just that's just the reality of it is, is just the Cubs have Cade Horton and Ben Brown and maybe Jackson Ferris as well as, as another name. And the Red Sox just don't have guys of that caliber. You know, the Yankees have Chase Hampton... Uh, Will Warren, um, I, I've heard some other names as well, but I, I won't go too into detail or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of Yankees and Cubs have the pitching prospects that the Padres should want, and so that makes them a little bit more adept. Uh, ending the note, uh, ending this episode on, on a couple quick topics. Uh, Bob Melvin, as we already discussed with Stephen, was hired by the Giants to be their new manager. Um, it sounds like uh, Matt Williams, the third base coach, and another coach on the Padres staff will be joining him. It sounds like Kai Correa, Alyssa Nacken, and uh, some other coaches on the Giants staff will be returning. Uh, Andrew Bailey, the pitching coach, may not return, but there are some rumors that if he um, he might just try to take over the director of pitching job that Brian Bannister had. Um, 
but it sounds more than likely like the Giants will be looking for a new pitching coach at some point this offseason, whether Bailey's just in a different role or, you know, not with the team at all anymore. Um, you know, we talked about this hire already with Stephen Ryan, but I think the Giants did well here. Bob Melvin's got a, a good track record of success. Yeah, again, look, is the difference in uh, managerial, like, game planning going to change? No, not pro- probably not. Like, maybe it'll be a little more traditional than, like, Gabe Kaplan was really innovative. He, he tried a lot of things. Um, but maybe that creates a little bit more buy-in, right? Like, we, we were t- I remember, like, the, the conversation had kind of gotten towards, like, okay, when did the training wheels come off of Kyle Harrison? Maybe Melvin is the right manager for, for that type of, like, not old school kind of thing, but more of like things that appeal to players that don't affect your winning percentage too much. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a really dumb way of saying things that are more aesthetically ple- pleasing and players like more that don't matter that much. I don't know how to explain it. It's like uh, trying to get less data driven and more human in ways that are good for baseball or good for your team I, or create more buying or whatever it may be. Melvin's got a lot of respect. Uh, he's he's been in the game for a while. Uh, players seem to like him, um, and, and ultimately the Giants again. Their biggest problem isn't their manager. It wasn't Gabe Kaplan was the manager, and that's why they lost a bunch of games. Um, they got to get better players. That's going to be the priority for them all off season. I hope for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's a good hire. I don't have much else to say about it. I I, I realize this. I don't want this to come off as like Ryan doesn't have a lot to say about it because he doesn't think Bob Melvin's a good hire. More so just like. I'm not. I'm not the guy who's going to be affected. I'm not the guy who's going to be the best judge of his performance. The players are completely fine with that take. Um, moving towards the job that seemingly nobody wanted uh, across baseball has finally been filled. The Red Sox have named a new president of baseball operations, and it's Craig Breslow. Breslow had been with the Cubs for about the past five, six years. Had been leading their pitching initiatives uh, operation. Um, Breslow, obviously former left-handed reliever in baseball played for both the Red Sox and Cubs actually. Um, and you know, is pretty well thought of in the pitching world. Um, extremely bright mind, um, getting a good opportunity here. It's just going to be interesting the direction that the Red Sox take, you know, the ownership said that our goal is to try and win. Breslow has more of that kind of Heim Bloom develop, build a farm system background, um, he's, I mean, obviously we just spoke about how the Cubs have a lot of pitching prospects and the Padres should like that. So, you know, the Red Sox are historically not very good at developing pitchers. Um, you know, so he's good at what they're not good at. So he should improve that, which is good for them. But obviously uh, you have some questions about how a new P- POBO is going to kind of come in and set the direction of the franchise. They do need a pitching coach. Um, Alex Cora has a lot of power in that organization, which did, you know, call, you know, scare some people off from the job. Um, so I'm curious to see what he does and who he brings in and everything. But uh, initial reaction is this is a good hire. Yeah. Um, Craig Breslow is, he worked, he, he used rap Soto to, um, help himself as a pitcher, which I think is really important. He's a guy who played baseball, which look, is that a background that necessarily yields the most immediate, like the guy knows how market value works. Maybe not, but like, how do you know until he actually makes trades and stuff like that? Not saying that the crit, like saying, Hey, we don't know how he's going to work in trades 
is something that you shouldn't question, but I feel like if you're going to immediately say, yeah, he's going to be a bad trader, it's like, you don't know that. Like, you don't. Come on. Um, he seems like a really smart guy. Uh, as you mentioned, he has a really good pitching background. The Red Sox need help on that for regard. I do think that, you know, end of the day, if you fired Bloom to, to hire Craig Breslow, did you really, like, did you get better as an organization? Maybe not, but maybe the new voice is just what you needed. Maybe Bloom just didn't see eye to eye with a lot of people in that organization. And look, I, they it's not that the Red Sox are a perfect organization, but you, you do need to get buy-in from everybody, right? You, you Not that you don't want a diversity of thought, but you, you do want, you don't want your general manager and your manager to clash. But as you mentioned, like, Will Alex Cora have too much of a say, right? Like, what will that look like? I don't know. Um, but for the Red Sox, it, again, again, it is weird that he was involved in the hiring of his boss. Right. It's like it, it and it's weird because it's like, I, I think it's clearly would have gotten an interview had uh, he opted to, 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 you know, enter himself in that ring. It Not that the Red Sox, look, it doesn't matter if they had some bad process in some of the people they selected for the hiring process because they hired the right guy. Uh, in my opinion, I think they hired the right guy, uh, at least among the group of people who uh, interviewed. Um, but again, like, I don't, it scares me that Cora could have gotten that job had he interviewed. It does scare me a little bit, but not to the point where I'm going to be like, this is going to be disastrous if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, there's concerns. But again, ultimately they did hire a guy who I think is very capable of doing the job. And it was, it was a good hire. It's a good hire in the sense of what I said, right? It's like he's good at the things they were bad at. So he does improve the organization from that standpoint is he can have a direct influence on their pitching development, something he was very good at. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they st- they still have questions that they need addressed. And the farm system's good, filled with a lot of good position players. It's not uh, necessarily filled with guys who can help them win next year in terms of what they need again pitching but the free agent market is filled with those guys and so it'll be interesting to see how they address those things um world series predictions ryan before we end up uh closing out this episode i'm going with diamondbacks in six games the diamondbacks are gonna take two uh at home and i think they'll win the game six on the road i think that's i think it'll be game two diamond game three diamondbacks game four rangers game five diamondbacks and then i feel like every world's like every like title run is like it's usually game six right when it's not a back and forth it's like game six is the one right like you think of the, the astros last year um you know well i guess i don't know what the historical examples for that look like but i always feel like a nice like win it in game six is always fun you know it's like you know you don't have the pressure of you have two shots at it and you just win in the game six 2020, six games, I believe. 2021, six games, I believe. 2022, six games, I believe. So we've had three straight six-game series. Um, it does feel like a little bit of a cop-out to play six games, but uh, I agree with you. I think the Diamondbacks end up winning in six here. Um, I just think, listen, Evaldi and Montgomery could bounce back, but you, know, you show signs of faltering and getting tired. It's, it's hard to imagine how you overcome that. So for me... I think the Diamondbacks end up winning in six. Um, But we'll know by the next time uh, we record these weekly episodes. And Ryan and I are going to spend the next episode doing a deep dive into how the team was built um, from the front office to the coaching staff to the players um, and give you basically 
how that organization came to be and how they ended up winning. And we're very excited to do that. Um, Thank you very much for listening. As always, Ryan, thank you very much for joining me here tonight. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We will be back uh, shortly with hopefully some more special episodes here in the future. Um, Please go listen to our last episode with Stephen Risotto. Very fascinating discussion about the Giants. Um, You know, really, really great interview there. And again, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod, and have a great rest of your week. (music) 